Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to this episode of Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. Well, markets have had a bruising few months, maybe longer if you've been invested in US tech. So it can be easy to lose sight of the bigger picture, how the world is changing and how you can invest in the kinds of technology that are going to be part of our future one way or the other. Today, I'm speaking with Tommy Tor, who is, and I have to read it, the head of investment strategy ETF business for Asia Pacific at BlackRock about future trends and how to invest in them. Tommy, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Gemma. And yes, the, my title means that I need to have a, basically an A4 uh, business card. So <laughs> thanks for introducing me. No, no, no. Head of investment strategy. Makes perfect sense, right? Makes perfect sense. I just want to make yeah. sure I got it right. So Tommy, first of all, just tell us about BlackRock because you guys are the world's largest asset manager now, right? It's not a little thing. It's very, it's quite an extraordinary thing, really, given the last couple of decades. So tell us a bit more about it. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I would like to. I would like to think that uh, I had something to do with that, but I don't. I don't actually think I can take much credit. Um, you know, I think you know, ETFs is obviously one of the the main pillars of the business. Um, being such a large company and being across so many different asset classes and business functions, you know, obviously allows us to do very exciting partnerships with with places like National Australia Bank. So we are, as you mentioned, in a very difficult position in the market at the moment. So I think at this point, clients obviously want to hear what, what we're thinking, particularly in the technology and, and megatrend space. So this is a, a great platform to do that. So thanks for having me. Your CEO, so Larry Fink is BlackRock CEO. He's pretty pretty famous now for a uh, yeah. for a CEO of an investment management company, right? In the US, even so many Australians have heard of him. He's been really outspoken about certain mega trends. And BlackRock, despite being an investment manager where theoretically you're just worried about making the money, you guys have taken some key positions. So what are you thinking in this space? What's some of the stuff he's talking about? Well, I mean, I guess we should probably start by trying to loosely define what a megatrend is because it can be quite confusing and, you know, a lot of different asset managers have different ideas about what the actual definition is. You know, when we're looking at megatrends, you know, whether that's sustainable or, or other or other areas, which I'll talk about in a, min, in a, in a moment, but megatrends, basically, we're looking at long-term transformational forces which are essentially influencing the future of our global economy uh, and society. Uh, And when we look at these themes, they're not necessarily constrained by sectors or geography, but are basically looking at companies which are going to benefit from structural changes which are created by those megatrends. So that probably doesn't really answer the question, but there's essentially, when we break it down, there's essentially five main themes uh, that we're looking at. And I'll talk a little bit about the drivers uh, of those. I won't go into too much detail, otherwise we'll be here all day. But the first one, which is probably the one that's been getting the most media attention recently, is around climate change and resource scarcity. Uh, So that's the one that's really been driving a lot of the inflows over the last couple of years. This is obviously becoming more important as we've seen countries making net zero pledges. Uh, This demand for a clean future, we do think will continue to grow, particularly in the the context of what's happening in in oil and gas at the moment with the Ukraine-Russia situation. Uh, And this is most around clean energy, electric vehicles, and clean water. So that's kind of the first one. 
the climate. Second one is around demographics, social changes. So I think as we all kind of know, longer lifespans, modern lifestyles are, are obviously changing medicine and also consumer habits. Again, sort of going back to technology. Um, this is going to really bring some, some significant challenges, but also opportunities for societies and businesses. And this is mostly in aging population and healthcare innovations. So that's that's the second one. Third one, uh, demographic shifts, but also changing economic power. So developing countries like China are increasingly dominating the world in terms of GDP growth, wealth. Um, you know, if you look over the last 20 years, you've seen markets like China benefiting from globalization, manufacturing shifts to different areas in, in Asia, Africa, for example. And we're kind of looking at which are the emerging, uh, the emerging economies, emerging sectors and companies in that space. Uh, the fourth one is around urbanization. So infrastructure needs, you know, new funding resources as global population continues to grow. Uh, we've got things like smart cities, which leverage technology and sustainability to improve efficiency and quality of life. Uh, and fifth and finally is the technological breakthrough. So we look at new technologies at the center of resolving and accelerating the mega trends that we've just spoken about. You know, you've got themes like robotics, artificial intelligence, cybersecurity. That's been very popular among investors in recent years um, as these technologies continue to advance. So when you put all those five things together, you have these global mega trends, which are really prompting structural shifts uh, in a lot of industries, uh, changing the drivers of, of earnings of companies and also the way we live. So that's kind of the broad frame framework of how we look at, at megatrends. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's going to argue with any of those, right? You know, the <laughs> strong and, and clearly defined, but so broad uh, in terms yeah. of the impact they're likely to have on our lives. How do you identify the changes that will really hold and what's going to stick in those sectors rather than, you know, we can all look back and see the Jetsons, you know, we're all supposed to be in flying cars right now, you know. There's a lot of things that didn't come to pass. How do you do you find a megatrend but focus on the things that are likely to actually stick? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, I, I mean, I think if you look at demand-driven versus index-provided, there's obviously a, a strong correlation between those. But, you know, as we kind of pointed out earlier, these longer-term transformational forces you know, identifying those obviously can be quite difficult. You know, investment trends uh, do not necessarily equal megatrends, right? So, you know, if, again, if we look at this current environment, investment trend, a strong investment trend has been investors moving back into oil and gas type exposures, which are not for us a megatrend, although you could have the transition from those companies into more greener type companies as a, a possible megatrends. So megatrends are more structural, you know, what do we look for in a theme? There's basically three main forces or tailwinds uh, which really power uh, these longer term secular trends, which I guess would, would answer more of your question. But the first one is around regulatory. So a lot of regulatory issues that we or changes that we've seen in places like uh, Europe, where pension funds are moving more to sustainable type investment. The second one is societal. You know, as we said, you know, changing demographics, uh, urbanization, um, robotics, etc. And the third one is more around e economics. So you know, if you look at countries, sectors where you know economic habits are changing or disposable income are changing, things like that. Um, I'll give you an example of how we might identify something. So like electric vehicles, for an example, you have a regulatory force uh, in play, changes in emissions standards uh, that can 
be sort of the, the genesis of a theme like electric vehicles. Then you have a societal force, which is uh, uh, an increased consumer preference for, for, for EVs. And that can also obviously incentivize companies to ramp up the, that EV production, scale back on combustion engine production. Uh, you know, Tesla's the obvious example here. And then finally, the, the, in terms of the economic force, declining cost of batteries as, as technology becomes more efficient and scalable, makes these electric vehicles cheaper to produce and therefore more affordable. So that increases demand. So it, it's there's not really, <laughs> that's a long way to put, there's no real clear answer. And, and I think it, it takes time to establish a mega trend. You know, you might see a, a certain shift in, in consumer behaviors, which might later on be identified as a mega trend, but I think you have to have those three things in place, the regulatory forces, societal forces, and also the economic forces. That's really interesting. Do you ever look at anything where the regulatory framework isn't particularly necessary, it's going to take off anyway? Yeah, that is certainly possible, but I would say in order for um, in order for your sort of larger type institutional clients to actually want to look and participate or active investors to actually participate in a megatrend and hold over a longer period of time. And for, for example, for us to be able to launch funds in those megatrends, you have to have those longer term structural changes, which will naturally coincide with, with regulatory shifts. So you might see, again, you might see a consumer preference start to change, whether that's, you know, into a certain type of phone or, you know, a, a certain type of um, a construction method uh, in, in real estate. But in order for companies to actually invest uh, in those technologies, you need to have, you generally need to have some kind of regulatory shift. Otherwise, it becomes a little bit more of a shorter term tactical type overlay rather than, rather than a mega trend. Yeah, interesting. And there's so much scope in all of those areas, in any one of them individually, frankly. How do you guys think about building a meaningful portfolio that allows an investor to get to get involved? Well, I mean, it's a great question. It, you know, it, it really depends on the investor. I would say for those that are trying to create a little bit more of a balanced portfolio, you can look across those those five themes that we mentioned earlier. Or, you know, if, if investors have a, a particular view on uh, or a particular interest in one, any one of those themes, then obviously there are products that that are available for that. But you know, investing in megatrends is not easy. It's 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 uh, it's a relatively newer space. Um, some investors might try to do that through picking individual stocks. You know, in that sense, you're obviously very concentrated. Performance can be quite volatile. Limited research on invest uh, from investors on how those themes do in these new spaces. I investing in a, in, a, in a broader product like an ETF gives you some uh, some d diversification over a broader space because when you think about you know again if you go back to technology, uh, say for example the dot com bubble in the 90s, you know if if you pick two or three of those winners from that space, you would have done very well. But in order to pick two or three of those those winners, you probably would have had about four to five hundred losers. So investing in a, in a broader portfolio or, or an ETF gives you the ability to actually invest long-term rather than being in one specific sector or company, which is going to be very volatile and, and very difficult for, for the investor to, 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 to stay invested over the long-term, which at the end of the day is what, is what megatrends are about. 
Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. Our investors are mad fans of Tesla, mad fans. Um, <laughs> I see a lot of Tesla right. stock held in the portfolios, which given we're based in Australia and the vast majority of our investors are Australian-based, is quite interesting, right? Because you would assume that once electric vehicles become the predominant form of vehicle, there won't just be one car manufacturer, right? One would hope there's more than one. Well, exactly. And that, I think that's the whole point is like, you know, the, the Tesla is, is is the one that's really brought that to the to the attention of investors. But as you start to see demand and regulatory changes, as we mentioned earlier, and consumer consumer shifts to, you know, lower fuel consuming cars, then you start to see other companies and other car manufacturers uh, investing into those space. And then you, you create competition between between those companies. So being in early is obviously very important, but uh, you need to have a long-term view, and also you need to be you need to be diversified. I think. Yeah, that seems very true, and I think your example of the uh, the late '90s is a fantastic one. You, know, you may have bought Amazon in 1999, but it took you an awfully long time to make money, and that was the good one, right? That was the one that made it. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a few examples which I won't bring up, which um, probably <laughs> are on the different on the other side of this slide. Yeah, yeah. There's always the couple. Um, Pets.com is always the, uh, the yes, favorite that was, example. Uh, <laughs> that was the one I was uh, I was thinking of. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's just such a classic example, right? Do you think actually on this subject, do you think there is a risk, and this is something that I do hear bandied around a little, that too much money has already flooded into some of these trends? Tesla, again, is the example people love, that people are massively overpaying for it to the extent that it's going to become the only car manufacturer and that there will be a re-rating with rising rates? Or do you feel that you know the trends are just so strong, we'll get there eventually? Um, well, I think it's a, I think at this point in time, it, it is a little bit of both. I mean, you know, obviously for us, for sustainable and thematics, these are, these are longer term uh, trends. And that's not to say that you can't get some some concentration risk. I mean, if you, if you look at performance of some of uh, the ESG funds this year, the sustainable funds, they haven't done particularly well. And, and it, the reason for that is that, you know, some of the the sector composition of of these funds, when you're looking at a broader fund, is more around, you know, tech, financials, industrials, um, the companies that are haven't done particularly well with uh, with rates moving higher. Uh, you know, having said that, you know, these are mega trends for a reason because we believe that they're going to be in effect good places to invest over the next 20 to 30 years. So, you know, there is always going to be volatility and short-term noise. You know, from from our perspective, you know, we we asked um, investors recently in Europe if they were uh, planning to increase allocation to sustainable investment products this year, and if they were going to do do that, what would they what would they look at? And around 60% said thematic products. So, you know, I think we have had a period in 2020 where we saw a significant amount of inflows into these products, but. As that as that money flows in uh, and corporations start to to spend more money to actually become more sustainable or whatever the, the, the theme is, then that creates more competition. Then you get more uh, you get more fund launches, all these kind of things. So that that diversification risk becomes less uh, as time goes on. So I think it's about you know you, you need to be obviously careful in picking your fund. You have to look for a well diversified true thematic strategies, and then pick a fund based on the three forces that, that I mentioned earlier in terms of the regulatory and the consumer and, and, the, and the social aspect. Not just buying Tesla? <laughs> <laughs> I, Sorry, that is the answer uh, for many of our investors, apparently. 
Yeah, I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm allowed to comment on single companies, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> I can tell you offline. That's uh, all good. One challenge we are definitely seeing at the moment is many investors are really sitting on the sidelines in this environment. Australia has suffered a yep. far less significant drawdown from a an index perspective than the US and many other markets where rising rates really put the market under pressure. We also didn't bounce back quite as strongly, so that might explain it, um, plus being heavily resource-focused. But you're, a lot of investors are thinking perhaps now is not the time to get in. Maybe we'll wait a little bit longer, see how things are going to play out. What advice can you give investors who are concerned about investing in the current environment? It's, uh, I mean, it's the, the question I get the most of any question, as you can imagine, you know, what do I do at this particular point? Um, you know, as you mentioned, it's been a very difficult year. Volatility is high, rates are moving higher, inflation is high. But on the other hand, you know, what we saw in leading up to June and the, the big uh, equity rally and, and risk rally we saw in July was that from an institutional perspective, you know, if we classify that as kind of the big money, um, Cash rates, cash holdings were amongst the highest we'd, we'd seen since 2000. Underweights on equities were probably the highest we'd seen since 2008. If you look at ETF flows throughout the entirety of the year, was very, very, very defensively positioned. Um, in equities, you know, the, the big themes were around dividend investing, minimum volatility, quality, healthcare, you know, these companies that had done well through uh, the, the COVID pandemic because they'd had stronger balance sheets. Uh, on the fixed income side, the majority of the money had moved into the short end uh, of the rates curve, basically saying, you know, let's let's stay defensive. So we kind of had these contrasting forces where on the one hand, yes, the macro data has deteriorated and will probably continue to deteriorate. But on the, on the other hand, most of our investors had already been defensively positioned. So I think that's kind of where thematics fits in quite nicely because, you know, we are not necessarily advocating for investors to move full on back into risk at this point. Um, you know, we don't think that the Fed, for example, can really manage a soft landing between inflation and growth. But you know, investing in thematics is is about longer term trends. Um, you know, not having to be trading in and out, being tactical. You know, there are that strategy does work for some investors. Uh, but for the longer term, uh, you know, thematics, I think, is, is an interesting place to look at this point because you can kind of set it and forget it in terms of in terms of investing in a theme that's going to play out over the next 10, 20 to 30 years. So it is a very difficult time. But in terms of thematics, I think when volatility is high, that's actually when investors uh, tend to look more into that kind of longer term space. So the uh, the Warren Buffett put it in the bottom drawer <laughs> for 10 years. That's the idea. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you could really classify thematics as value investing, but I guess it's that that sort of similar similar playbook. Yeah. So, Tommy BlackRock has constructed three ETFs in conjunction with NabTrade, looking at what our investors have been after. And because so many of our investors are very unsure in this environment, it's been really interesting doing that work. Can you tell us yeah. a bit about those? Um. I can tell you a little bit about them, uh, but seeing as they, they haven't launched it, I can't go into too uh, too many specifics. But essentially, what we're looking at is you know sustainable funds uh, and tech innovators, future tech innovators. So if we look at, for example, a high growth ESG ETF, what are you getting here? You know, what's the rationale? 
um, simple, efficient way to gain low-cost exposure to a, a portfolio of ETFs, and that's kind of the keyword portfolio that is diversified across multiple asset classes and regions. So that's I'll get more specific because that's basically saying you're buying everything. But on the second point, you know, ESG-oriented investment strategy, so that kind of avoids companies and issuers that have engaged in activities that are controversial or have uh, adverse effects on climate. And the final thing is it's it's a fund that, that will be rebalanced quarterly uh, to its longer-term high-growth strategic asset allocation. So you're looking for a sustainable tilt, but something that's in, in more in the high-growth bucket, so a little bit more, a little bit more aggressive. Um, the second one is, is a more balanced ESG fund. Uh, again, you know, you're getting exposure to portfolio of ETFs, diversified uh, ESG-oriented investment strategy. Again, similar to, to, the, to the first one. Uh, and, the, and the third point on the rebalancing, that's towards a balanced strategic asset allocation. So both ESG, uh, one high growth, one more balanced, so a little bit more risk adverse. And the final one, which is quite, uh, quite interesting, is future tech innovators. So this is uh, instead of a portfolio of, of ETFs, this is a portfolio of companies that are, are looking at transforming the way that we live uh, and work as well. You've got access to multiple innovative uh, and complementary themes, which are basically covering automation, robotics, electric vehicles, digitalization, healthcare innovation, and smart infrastructure and clean, clean energy. So it is all about future tech uh, innovate innovators across uh, a number of the, the five uh, thematic um, uh, buckets that we mentioned uh, earlier. And a final thing on that one is it's a screened investment strategy that, again, avoids companies engaged in some of those controversial activities. So they're all, they're all ESG focused on varying degrees. One is a high growth, one is balanced, and one is more looking more at future tech, uh, future tech innovators. I can see a lot of our investors finding particularly the last one very interesting and very appealing. We find ESG is a really interesting topic. It tends to polarize people, but when you get into the specifics, they tend to be pretty calm about it. <laughs> you right, people are yeah. really upset and then you have a chat and they go, oh yeah, no, that's fair enough. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's always very space, interesting to me. It's a just difficult space to classify and and discuss. I mean, there's so many different metrics around it. Um, you know, I think the benefit of these funds is probably that you know, simple is better in terms of you have a balanced one, you have a high growth one, and then you have a future future tech innovators and not have to worry about all the different various metrics uh, that, uh, that, that you would look at, whether that's screened or enhanced focused or climate Paris aligned or any of the other, any of the other uh, classifications that you would look at when, when, um, when uh, viewing an ESG fund. I think for the average investor, absolutely. They should they want a single decision. They don't have to make 50 decisions yeah. just to get down <laughs> exactly. to uh, to what they're actually looking for. Tommy, you often provide commentary in the media. BlackRock's an extraordinary source of education and insights and broader commentary. As I mentioned, you guys are the largest asset manager in the world and you have incredible people working for you doing amazing things. Where can people go to find out more about you guys and what you're working on? Um, great question. Um in terms of Australia, I would say, you know, start with the, the iShares website. There's a lot of good information on there. Uh, we are trying to constantly update that with new investment ideas and, and, and 
new commentary on what's happening in the market. Um, if you do have a, a sales representative in, in iShares, speak to them. They can always get directly uh, in touch with me. I will actually be in Australia next month, so I do hope to, to meet some of the uh, the investors as well. But I think probably the best place to start uh, would be the website. Navigate from there, and obviously just get in touch with with uh, with a with a sales a sales representative or an iShares representative if you have any specific questions. Tommy Tor from BlackRock, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Also, as always, we love hearing from you. We receive fantastic feedback from you guys. We love getting your questions. Please just email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.